Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Project Zion podcast. This is your host, Brittany Mangelson. And today we are going to be featuring one of our Chai Can't Even series, which is all about young adults in Community of Christ. So today I have on Laura Bolton, who I'm very excited to chat with. Uh, and we are just going to talk about her experience being a young adult in Community of Christ. So welcome, Laura. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here. Or, I mean, I'm in my living room, but I'm glad to be talking with you. So let's start from the beginning. Uh, Did you grow up Community of Christ? Did you attend camps? How were you treated as a kid or as a youth in your congregation? Uh, That kind of thing. Yep, all um, great questions (laughs) and questions that I feel young adults get asked a lot. There's a lot of interest around um, young adults in the church, I think. Um, I did grow up Community of Christ. Um, My family, well, half of my family is Mormon, and the other half is Community of Christ. And and I happen to be in the Community of Christ half. Uh, So, I mean, everybody in my family is, you know, familiar with the Restoration in one, one sense or another. So... Yes, Community of Christ from birth, camps, absolutely. I I think it's really hard to be um, Community of Christ and not have experienced camps in one form of another since they're so prominent in our faith community. Um, I love, love camps. The thing that kept me coming to church when I was a kid was camps. And, you know, people like to foster youth they like having kids at church and, and that's like a, a forever struggle. How do we get the kids to church? Um, and camps are kind of the way that that happens. And so congregations put a lot of emphasis on that. They, they help pay for you to get to camps and, and then, you know, they have like youth groups and stuff between camps. Um, so my congregation was really embracing of youth. You know, we had a Sunday school class. I think that's pretty typical um, youth group that met and did like different activities. Um, I loved the congregation I grew up in. I don't attend it anymore. Um, but that's really just because when my husband and I got married, we had that weird, like, you know, where do we go to church now? Cause we both had congregations and his congregation is a lot smaller. And we decided that they probably needed our presence more than my home congregation did. And although I regret that decision, um, I kind of wish I had stayed, you know, I missed my home congregation. We we made that decision and and that's where we are now. So because I know where you are now, yeah, geographically speaking, I have some sense of maybe where you grew up, but I didn't ask that. So where was oh, your sure. home congregation? Sorry. And so I guess uh, I also have that unique growing up in community of Christ and I am from independence. And so um, unlike many places, I have a choice, I, I guess, um, of where I want to go. So I grew up going to Summit Grove congregation and my husband lives in Harvest Hills, which has a really like unique history um, 
you know, trying to be this Zionic community. And it has a congregation here. And it's a really small congregation that, I mean, it's, it's not a congregation that will be, I don't think will be around in, in a few years, but it's kind of here for the members that live here right now. So, independence for the win. Well, now I almost regret not spending our entire time together this evening on Harvest Hills. I think that is so fascinating. Uh, And I actually want to do some sort of podcast on that eventually because I am really fascinated by it. Also, just random side note, I live in the subdivision Harvest Hills. And so (laughs) I do. And so every once in a while, for whatever reason, that will come out. Like if a community price person has come to my house or whatever, and they see the big Harvest Hills sign in front of our subdivision. And they're like, what in the world? <laughs> oh, that's so strange. You know, when I moved here, I like knew, I don't want to like, you know, spend all of our time on Harvest Hills, but I like kind of knew about it. I was like, oh yeah, it's this church community thing. Um, and then we moved here. Like I, you know, we actually live in Harvest Hills and um, <laughs> there is a lot to be said about such a close knit community. Uh, I mean, you can't have a secret. Uh, you can't do anything without people knowing, but you also can like legitimately ask your neighbor for like a cup of sugar, um, which seems like something you would do in like the fifties. I don't know. Very old school classy. Oh, that's amazing. So with going to camp and being mentored and having congregational life, when you saw your future, when you were, say, a teenager, you did you see yourself being actively engaged in Community of Christ? Like, was it something you were excited about? Were you interested in ministry on any level or anything like that? Absolutely. Um, I'm like a birth-to-earth kind of relationship with Community of Christ. Like, I'm, I'm in it to win it. So they had me from from a really young age, I don't remember going to church when I was a child and my parents aren't super active. Um, but when I started, when I was like 16 and I could drive, I started taking myself to church. Um, like there was something that pulled me in, uh, outside of like familial bonds. Um, I like the church. I like the community that exists within the church. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I was hooked from a, I don't want to say really young age from, you know, like teenage years. Um, You know, you just, you find something that you love and you have a passion for, and it just becomes so important that you maintain that. And so I didn't know when I was younger what that would look like in my life. It's not like I was like hoping to work for the church or be in the priesthood. It was just, I knew that the church was going to be part of my life, however that looked. So this might seem like an obvious question, but I'm just wondering, what was it that sparked your interest and your attention and your love? And like, what was it about the church that got you excited? Yeah, this is a question that I think about often because there are like plenty of things I don't like about the church. Um, And I don't want to like, you know, be a downer. But there are things about the church that I think need to change and things that worry me. Um, But I think those are largely overshadowed by the community and like what I see us do. 
you know, when I, Facebook is such a, a silly thing, but it allows us to see all of these other congregations. You know, you can follow the page of like every congregation in the world. Um, and they show you all of these community activities and ways that they're involved. And it's, and it's that, that, that hooked me, the, the community involvement. Um, and then like that group of people that you're so immediately connected to, even without like really knowing them, like you, you know, you may have experienced this too, but there's not a place in the world that I couldn't go that the church exists and not be welcomed immediately by those people. Like whether I speak the language or not, whether I've ever met them. And then you get to play the like Kevin Bacon game. What's it called? Like the eight degrees of Kevin Bacon, seven, yeah. degrees, six degrees, yeah. some number of degrees. And you like find out, you know, who you know that they know. Cause there's always somebody um, yeah, there really is. Question. <laughs> no, you totally did. I felt like I got lost. <laughs> no, it was yeah. that uh, reminded me. It was really funny when I went to Spec a couple years ago. Um, word got out, I guess, that I was kind of the resident ex Mormon Latter Day Seeker new member on campus, and so I was approached by a lot of people who worked with a Mormon once or who has a Mormon cousin right. or who whatever, <laughs> assuming that I knew who this person was. I mean, it probably happened three or four times over the course of the week. And I was like, it's not like community of Christ. I mean, this is something that is very special and very unique to community of Christ, where if you know somebody, you really can probably connect in just a very small handful of people. Like everybody right. knows everybody like it it's hilarious how small knit right you know how small knit the community is so what you're telling me is you do not know my mormon grandfather probably not <laughs> <laughs> but maybe <laughs> that's okay oh so as you and here's another thing that i'm not really sure about you i'm not entirely sure how old you are so if some of these questions don't make sense I'm 80. You're 80. Great. I'm just kidding. I'm I'm 28. 28. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. So, um, as we move into your early adulthood and to Uh now, did you go to Graceland? I don't know. No. All right. Well, so I want to know about your church involvement in college. And I guess just kind of your college story. I don't know when you fell in love with your husband, but all those details. (laughs) Um, I don't, were you hoping that I had gone to Graceland? No, not really. Like the, the complete community of Christ young adult. No, 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 no. I just know. I mean, either you've been to Graceland or you married someone that went to Graceland or you both went to Graceland and you got married or it's just, it seems like it's the popular. I married someone that went to Graceland. So you fit it. I I do. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I only didn't really go to Graceland. I started college a couple years early, and that was kind of through a specific college. And so my college life kind of got planned out um, outside of Graceland's, um, I guess, like realm of possibilities. And so that just didn't happen, which is fine. So... 
I stayed connected with the church all through college. There were a couple years when I was away at college, and although there was a congregation in in the town where I went to college, um, it was really small, and I didn't have a car because I, I I started early and I went to this like program thing, and so we weren't allowed to have cars, so I didn't have a way to get to church. But they had like a Liahona group that was not super active, but kind of. But that was only for like two years while I was there. And then I moved back home um, and was super engaged in church. And I say that in, in really in my mind in college, that was camps. You know, I'd go to like five camps a summer just being involved in whatever the mission center had to offer. Um, but I was still active with my congregation. Um, it probably looked different. I got called to the office of priest when I was like 21. Um, and so that, that kind of changed the tone of my um, relationship with church and that it, uh, I don't know. It felt maybe a little bit more serious. Like it was kind of a big, um, not undertaking, but you know, it, uh, it's like, it's not like a baptism, but it's like a new commitment to something saying that you'll, you'll uphold this set of standards and, um, and then be there for people in a way that maybe you hadn't been previously marry people that's scary but yeah so uh college was I don't know time like it kind of just like passed in a blur and really I was just waiting to get done with college so that I could do world service corps I was like I knew that I wanted to do it and I couldn't do the year while I was in school and and so I was just like I gotta get I gotta get through this and I'm gonna do world service corps um and then I did do World Service Corps. I went to French Polynesia for a year. Um, I lived on Tahiti. And that was an amazing experience. Um, and something that was kind of becoming like pretty standard for super involved young adults in the church. And so it's really sad that World Service Corps doesn't exist um, in the same capacity. It's like kind of floating around in certain mission centers. Um, sometimes we like to have the conversation, what would we do if we won a million dollars or whatever, the lottery? And David's like, oh, I would quit my job, definitely. Um, but my number one thing is I would reinstate World Service Corps. I absolutely think it's one of the coolest things we've done as um, a church, like, you know, having people go to different places so they can experience the church somewhere else, because I think that's so important too to understanding our, like our entire faith community because church and independence is nothing like church anywhere else in the world. And I like, that's an awesome thing. I love church everywhere else in the world, the music, the prayers. Yeah, there definitely is diversity. Uh, I haven't experienced the church 
in very many places, especially when you consider the global church. Uh, but I have talked to enough people to know that what you're saying is accurate. So with that, can you share a few stories from your time in Tahiti? Okay. So I feel like I became like a really boring world service corps person all of a sudden, because both of the stories I want to tell you are about baptisms. So the first one, we get to this island. So we had flown to an island and they're like, okay, we're going to go to this other island. A new congregation was about to um, open up and we had to wake up super early to take a boat because planes can't go to this island. And we get there and it's like a very, very like cliffy island. Um, There's like a population of 70 people. Um, So very remote, but it was beautiful, massive, these massive like coconut crabs, very scary. (laughs) Um, Anyway, sorry. So we get there and we're just like in a truck and they're driving us. And then we stop and we get out and we're like walking through this, like, you know, it feels like a jungle, but it's just like an island with like coconut trees and stuff. And um, there's like this hole in the ground. I mean, it's like a natural hole. Like it wasn't man-made, but they've like attached some ropes and we're like holding onto the ropes and we're like repelling into this cave and it's like really dark, but they've like got a generator running and they've set up lights. And then we're like kind of climbing down into this cave and, and it's full of water. And they're telling us how each island has a different um, like way that you greet the island And so for this island, you're supposed to go and greet the island in this cave and, like, touch this particular stone. And so that was cool. And then, um, and then Mareva was there, the apostle for that field. And, like, in this cave, and it's, like, beautiful, and it's dark, and, like, we've just climbed down into it. She just, like, baptized these couple of kids there. And it was it was so cool because when I got baptized, I, was, I got to get baptized in a swimming pool. And I thought that that was amazing. <laughs> like so much cooler than the baptismal font. And then these people just like in the middle of a freaking forest in the middle of an Island baptized. And <laughs> it was so cool. And just like, this realization of the ability to find the spirit anywhere at any moment. Um, And it was just, it was just very cool. And I remember being so overcome with, I mean, Marie was like an amazing person. Um, She's bomb.com. And just watching her do these baptisms was, is one of the best moments of my life. Um, obviously, because I'm telling you about it right now. Um, and then the other story, uh, also about baptism, I, the very first people I baptized were, was in French Polynesia. They have these like family reunion things before Christmas. So I went to this, I was on a different island and it was like the night before And they're just like, hey, we're going to baptize some people tomorrow. You're going to do it. (laughs) And I didn't know these, they were these little girls. I didn't know them. Um, 
And I remember thinking, because their names were so long, because um, Tahitians have, well, they feel difficult to me only because I'm so used to, you know, you know, nice, short English names. Um, and I couldn't, they were, they were like, you're not allowed to mess the prayer up or the name up and you have to completely dunk them or you'll have to do it again. <laughs> so I went in with like no so much trepidation about, about this baptism. And I had been practicing because the uh, prayer was in French. So I'd been practicing the prayer and I'd been practicing their names. Um, and then we were in the water and I mean, we were in the ocean and that was amazing. And it was cold. And the little girls were like, I'm so cold. And I was like, listen, I'm really sorry, but I got to keep saying your name in my head. <laughs> um, and then I didn't mess up and that was cool. And the little girls were like, I don't know, you know, they're young and they're just like, oh, it's so cool. Let's get out. <laughs> but, you know, it was a cool moment. It felt um, kind of sudden. Oh, you're going to do these baptisms. But then it's been, well, they're actually the only baptisms I've done. I don't know. I kept referring to them as my first. I mean, it was my first, but, um, and so I think about them a lot these two girls I have like a running prayer list on my phone and their two names are at the very top of it. Um, I absolutely love that. And I don't find that boring at all. <laughs> so yeah, I love world service Corps. You said you were there for a year. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, I my, like, I guess my third go around with world service Corps. I had done some summer things. Oh, what summer things did you do? So the, when I when I met Matt Davidson, Davidson, their last name, um, yes, this done, yeah. Anyway, um, so I did the the islands. So I was in Hawaii for a few weeks, and then I went to Fiji for a few weeks, and then I went to New Caledonia for a few weeks. Um, so that was my first World Service course, just a summer program, and I. I mean, I loved it. You know, who doesn't love the idea of island hopping and meeting a bunch of people very quickly, but it was like too quick. I, I came home and I was like, I didn't, I didn't get to really meet people in the way I wanted to. I was like, I want to do this again and it needs to be longer. Um, and, and then I did like an internship, but that was an in independence. And so that was less Typical, I guess. Less exotic. It, yeah. <laughs> Just some data entry. <laughs> oh, okay. So you're a young adult in the church. You did not go to Graceland. You did yeah. World Service Corps. Um, I'm curious, did you feel pressure or was there, pressure is not the right word, but did you did you feel like you needed to date someone that was also interested in the church or were those like your, was that your circle of friends or, you know, what was your social situation like? Yeah. So I was in a pretty serious relationship in college with a non community of Christ member. Um, and the person was actually, an atheist. I mean, that's what they would have called themselves. And so it would, it went a little bit beyond just the non-community of Christ thing. I, I wasn't dealing with just like a different religion. 
Um, but he would like equate my belief in God to a child's belief in Santa. Um, and that made it really difficult because it's, it's hard to have something that is such a big part of your life. Um, and like who you are as a person to be taken as a joke, essentially. Um, I wasn't ever pressured to date within the church. There was never a um, expectation that I date within the church, especially since my parents are not actively engaged in the church. Um, but it was easier. Um, there was a, I don't know, a lack of pressure to find someone within the church. But then at the same time, there are not a lot of people within the church. And so, although it's easier to like be on a similar wavelength as someone involved in the, in the church, it, it's harder because there aren't a lot. Um, so David and I met when I was, I, I was like 21 and David's like six years older than me, which isn't like a ton of time, but there's a big difference between a 21 year old and a 27 year old. That's the difference between my husband and I too. <laughs> okay. So when we met, I think he would tell you that I was <laughs> like very young and obnoxious and crazy and, and like, not that I'm not so obnoxious <laughs> and crazy, but it was hard and we, we, I, we did not really get along. Um, and then, you know, I finished college and I did world service Corps, and I came back from world service Corps, And within a month we were dating, uh, within three months we were engaged and a year later we were married. My friends like to tell the story. I moved back from Tahiti and at the same time, two of my best friends moved away. One, you know, down to Louisiana and one up to, um, West Virginia and I was like, oh my gosh, guys, you're leaving me here all alone. I'm going to have to hang out with David Bolton of all people. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then ironically, we are now married. That story got told at the wedding. Um, poor David. Oh, of course it did. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. No pressure to date within the church, but... There's such a difference in my relationship with, and I'm not talking just like the level of seriousness that I have with David that I, you know, didn't have with like my college boyfriend, but um, being able to align beliefs or at least have someone who respects your beliefs really mattered. Um, I don't think I needed that exclusively from the church. Like It's possible that I could have found that from someone outside of the church. Um, but I found David and I didn't have to look any further. Yeah. I think that, that, uh, what I hear you saying is, you know, shared values and mutual respect Absolutely. would be at the core of, of what yeah. your priorities would have been. Yes. You so get me. <laughs> I do. I, well, and it was funny when you were talking about when you first met David and, how he perceived you. I think that's how my husband, Josh perceived me as well. So much so that we actually broke up for a little while and he would say it's because I was quote, so young, which I totally was. Don't get me wrong, but yes. <laughs> that was, that was his thing. He's like, she's just this bubbly little teenager. 
So yeah, totally relatable. So I'm curious to know uh, how your involvement in the church, whether it is, you know, from when you were a kid or uh, into your young adulthood, how that shaped and formed maybe some of the decisions you made, or do you feel like it empowered you to make choices? Um, Did you ever feel like you were being pigeonholed into anything, or did you feel like uh, you were able to use maybe your giftedness that you learned in church in other ways in your life? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the biggest thing, I'll just start big and maybe get smaller, but, or more, pointed but uh the main thing is what I want to do has been so much influenced by being in the church and I mean like professionally I need to be doing something that feels like it makes a difference and I don't currently have a job that fulfills that Um, and it's, it just means I'm still seeking. Like I want something that feels like it's making an impact in other people's lives. You know, I, I hate the term missional, but I want a job that is missional in, in any aspect. Like it doesn't have to be something so specific as church work. Um, but I, the church has made me strive to, to do good in like every area of my life. And like, I fail in a lot of those areas, not because I like want to be a terrible person, but you know, we're all, we're all trying. Um, but like, I want a job where I feel like I'm doing good. Um, and, and that's been hard. I, you know, I've had like every job ever with the church. I've done like a gajillion different internships and I was like a resource writer. Um, and then, you know, we were in Nauvoo for a little while and David too, he's been all over the place with like the hymnal and the prayer for peace. And now he's in it and he's doing, I mean, we've just kind of been everywhere and it's hard to move around so much. And like the uncertainty of work, But the, like, overarching call to do more is fulfilled in that. So it doesn't matter that, like, we're not sure what our job is going to be or, oh, we are going to do something different this year than we did last year or even in, like, the next few months. There was – we just both feel – the same sense of, of calling to, to work for um, an organization that we believe in. No, I identify with that a lot. I think that once you get a taste of feeling like you're making a difference, it's really hard to find fulfillment in maybe more mundane things. And I know that, you know, maybe we're supposed to be holistic and, make everything we do spiritual practice and whatever, everything can have meaning in it. But I totally get what you are like, what you're saying. Um, it can be difficult to then, uh, just be engaged in things that you're just like, am I making a difference? Is this really, you know, 
I don't hate the word missional maybe as much, but I'm also <laughs> new to the word missional, so I'm not burned out on it yet. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like to to have this um, to have this identity be so much a part of who you are of just wanting to make a difference in the world. So, right. I I have an English degree, which I kind of just got because I like to read. Um, mm-hmm. When I was like deciding a a major. Um, but it also was one of those things that I never thought I would use. And then, well, I am now, like I'm a document editor for a law firm and I like my job. I like the people I work with. And I, for the first time in my life, I have a non-community of Christ friend, which you know how many people I've heard talk about. It's like something we have on our bucket list. I like, I've heard so many young adults Um, or even not young adults say, I really want to have a friend outside of the church. Just like, it's almost like a little experiment. Like, Ooh, what's that going to be like? (laughs) And I found that in this job. I'm so glad. (laughs) And it's such a different relationship than, than a church one and not in a lesser way, but just like, a much different way. And it's good. I mean, it's, you know, it's my favorite thing about my job, but I just don't feel like editing court documents is the thing that I'm meant to be doing. <laughs> it's not your life passion. It isn't. Um, so in a way the church has ruined me professionally. <laughs> now I have to be doing something that feels like it matters or else I'm just unfulfilled. Um, But I also think that's a really good thing. It makes us continue to strive for, you know, something more in life. So. Have you found fulfillment with volunteer work, whether it's on a congregational level or in your mission center or anything like that? Yeah, so that um that was a huge struggle actually. Um that's part of our like as a as a couple our journey of finding um a congregational home. It didn't end up being his home congregation. Um it was it was a huge I don't know, like culture shock going from my home congregation to David's and I just, there really wasn't an active youth um, group and they're like really just five adults who kind of show up. And, and so I found my way into this group of people who had started to like meet on like Sunday evenings and I started to meet with them and then we, we kind of became like a thing. Um, So it was like, we were like talking and then we kind of became more established and we have our first organizational meeting coming up. Like we're becoming an officially established congregation or we'll, we'll be in an emerging congregation. But like I found my way to this by like needing to be fulfilled and this new congregation we're, so we have kind of foregone sermons and pews 
we sit around a table. Someone always brings food. Um, and then we're, we're like trying to be engaged in our community. We just had this like really successful coffee house and we've made like bread and cookies for the teachers at there's a school right next door. And we did um, some winter care packages for like to like, keep them in our car, like to give out, but, but needing to be more involved or fulfilled. Um, it's not quite volunteering, I guess, because it is a congregation. Um, but it led me to a group of people who felt the same way as me. And it's amazing. Like it's, it's a lot of fun to be with a group that's so passionate about what they're doing um, and to have it align with what I'm looking for. So it's, it's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting stuff. Feel free to come to Impact Sundays, 5.30 p.m. <laughs> You're in the Independence area. That's right. We're at 39th Street. So. <laughs> nice. Sorry, um, I just shamelessly plugged. I'm no, sorry. No, feel free. People shamelessly plug all the time on Project Science. Okay, well then in that case, come to Impact and in Independence, 5.30, East of uh-huh. 9th Street. See you there. <laughs> Well, it sounds like you all are living into the future of what I believe the church is going to be. Um, You know, maybe not everywhere, but I think we are already seeing smaller groups emerge, more roundtable discussions, less of a high church feel. Absolutely. Yeah, which I think is, is really going to be pivotal as the church moves forward into the future. Absolutely. Um, I only wish we had gotten there sooner. Yeah. (laughs) I hear you. Yeah. And I know that that kind of worship style is still, uh, I mean, people can be hesitant about it, you know, rethinking how we do church and. Yes. And we've had people come and say it doesn't feel like church to them. Because it's, you know, it's not how they have experienced it and it's not how they're defining what church is. And that's okay. Um, But I think we need to work to redefine what church is. Like, does church have to be a sermon? And does it have to be on a Sunday morning? And does it have to be in a pew? Because I think, um, actually, really specifically, that is not what church is. I mean, like, yeah, church is a building, and yes, we have a service there, um, but there's so much more to church, and I don't want to be, like, all Jesus-y on us, but, like, there's so much more, and and I'm not saying, like, what I'm doing is the answer, but it's, like, a step, you know? The want to change is the very first, like, part of our future. I'll put my soapbox away. I like your soapbox and I get on it the same soapbox frequently. (laughs) So with that, I guess I'm wondering what you see are as the benefits of a religious community in today's world. Like, is there a need for Christians or people of faith to still congregate and come together? And um, like, why do church? Yeah. I've thought about this question before. Um, with the fact that 
I keep referencing my parents. Jeez. Um, I'll have to tell them to listen to this. Um, Hey mom and dad, you don't go to church. And I, and then, and there's a huge difference in like their support system and community. Community can exist in like loads of different places. Morality can be taught um, outside of church. Like those, those things are not necessarily church specific, but there are very few other places where you get an immediately um, family-like connection with a large group of people who are willing to support you. And I don't, I mean, I don't have like examples or any great like story to accompany that. But I know that if anything were to happen in my life, I have this massive network of people to rely on. Like I'm sick. My neighbor has literally brought me food. Oh, we need help moving. I can have 15 people come help me move. Oh, I'm, I'm not in a good place today. Great. There are like five people I can call who will talk to me for hours because I need that. And like those kind of communities can exist other places, but they just don't. Not in the same frequency or, I don't know, intentionality maybe. I think that is the strength um, of church, like the importance of it. I mean, yeah, I don't want to like not include Jesus and stuff, but you can really get without gathering, you know, you can learn about the Bible. I could listen to a sermon on the radio. Um, But like what we get from church is the people. And without the people, I think there really is no church. So I, I think organized or gatherings of religious people are really important. Um, And I can't imagine trying to cultivate the same support system outside of a church setting. I I wouldn't even know where to go, who to, who to start with. Like if I, if I cut every single church person out of my life, I, I don't know where I would, where I would turn I, I guess my one non-community Christ friend. I was just going to say that. It sounds like you would have <laughs> one friend. Yeah. And, yeah. And, like, obviously, if I didn't grow up in the church, then I would have had more non-church friends. But still, my community is much larger than if I weren't involved in the church. Yeah. Uh, it's so interesting hearing you talk about this because, you know, I'm from Utah, specifically Mm -hmm. Provo, Utah, so Mormon central. And I very much felt the same way that you do living in independence. I mean, it was my everything. It was like, oh, I have one non-Mormon friend now, you know, (laughs) that was was the same kind of thing. So I totally 100% get what you're saying, uh, where, you know, church just touches every single aspect of your life. Um, here now my church life in Utah is different, but there's still 
that sense of community. I actually just ran into, and I almost posted this on Facebook, but I ran into Carla Long at Costco. Uh, She now lives pretty close to me. And I almost said, for the first time, I ran into a community of Christ members in Utah (laughs) County. Because it just doesn't happen here. Because there's, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 of us that live in Utah County. (laughs) But That's amazing. There are very specific restaurants in the Independence area that are like, I don't know, when I go into them, I know I have like a 90% chance of seeing another Community of Christ member. So I walk into these restaurants and I scope them. You know, my first like two minutes are just like, who's here? Hey, hey, Bob, Joe, it's nice to see you. Hey, Susan. Hey, how you doing? Like, so I, you know, it would be interesting to live somewhere like Utah where that's not the case. Um, but the, you know, the community, because you could come to independence and have the same, because you know, so many people in the church, like you could come here and have the same exact experience. You, you walk into Chili's and you need to scope the place first. Who's here? (laughs) It's true. I did run into Janae Grover once at Costco and independence. (laughs) I was like, Hey, Costco is the place to be. Yeah, it really is. Apparently, especially if you're Community of Christ, because, yeah. Yeah. We really like Costco. We do. It's a good place. It's very they good They have place. this, like, orange chicken. Mm. It's so good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Speaking of Costco, real quick. Today, they were giving out samples of coffee, but I don't think they really, the little old lady didn't really know what she was doing, because she just had a Keurig. And she was selling, or not selling, but just handing out samples. But she was, she didn't have any cups pre-made or anything, so she was just kind of making them on the spot. But this is in American Fork, Utah, so nobody wanted coffee. Also, it was like 6 o'clock at night. And so she just kept holding out a cup and was like, do you want some coffee? Do you want some coffee? And I just sat there and was like, oh, lady, nobody's going to take your samples, and it's too late for me to have coffee, so Sorry. That's so sad. It was hilarious. It was like the most Utah thing ever. You Failed coffee samples at Costco. She needed me. I would have drank her coffee. <laughs> Seriously, I hope somebody did. I almost feel bad that I didn't. It's like, oh, Brittany. They set her up for failure, though. They really did. They <laughs> totally set her up for failure. <laughs> That's too bad. <sighs> well, so... What do you think is one of the hardest or some of the hardest things about being a millennial in Community of Christ today? Or I guess a young adult. I don't know if you identify with being a millennial. I do. Yes. I, I'm pretty sure I'm in the millennial category. Yeah, um, I, think, I think you would be. Yeah. And, I, you know, for the most part, I don't really mind being a millennial like you know you can't really help the year you're born in what I don't like are the really negative things that get attributed or blamed on us um I feel like every other day I'm reading some stupid article oh millennials to blame for Applebee's you know tanking business okay it is not millennials fault that Applebee's has the worst food like for real um (laughs) And that kind of has trickled into the church, like, we're to blame for, you know, the numbers shrinking and, like, not giving money, and I don't know. There's just, like, 
there's almost, there's like this weird simultaneous, there's so much hope in us. Like we, we are the future. And then also like you're ruining the future. Um, and I hate, I hate all that. Cause it's not, I think it's not fair. I think it's putting a lot on our shoulders. Um, save the church, but you can't change anything. <laughs> and uh, I think that's a tall order. Um, and I think what they're going to find is that we're going to change the church and it's not going to be how they want. Um, and, you know, that will be good. Like, there's so many things that need to be changed. Um, but I, I, you know, it's kind of a sticking point between the newer generations and the older generations. A huge sticking point. I totally hear you. Yeah. So what do you think some of those changes need to be? Or I guess what I should say is what do you think, no, let me rephrase that again. How do you think the church is going to have to adapt as we live into the future, whether that's in response to technology or in response right. to the needs of our generation, et cetera. So what's sad is we keep asking the question, like, how can we change? Um, and we already know how. There are places doing it, and they're doing it successfully. Like, how can we incorporate technology? Well, they're, like, this is a podcast, like here is a really great example of a way to incorporate technology. Um, how, how can we like adapt to the needs of the young people or get them involved? Well, there are already programs in the church that are doing a really great job. Um, like community place and space. <laughs> um, so the, it's like not even an issue of how, because like we know how it's, it's when are we going to, if we're going to, um, it's the kind of what we were just talking about. Like we don't like change and we're worried about it or we just don't agree with it. And I think that is, is the biggest issue. The change that, I think needs to be made and like others may agree with is not, is not going to come easy. Um, and, and I don't want to like sit and list things because I don't know. I, I don't want to like divulge all of my secrets. Um, (laughs) but you know, the church has what I feel are some really, archaic and non-inclusive policies. And I wouldn't say all of those policies are hurting people. And so that's, although that's a concern with some of them, I think for the most part, they just, the church is wanting to change and it needs to change other things too. Um, Not as a response to like cultural trends, but, as a response to the changing world and like, how do we be a functioning church in a world um, that has such different beliefs? 
Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it can be difficult to have some of these conversations. Um, I And I know that there's a lot of buzz right now among young adults about a few policies yes. in particular. Um, and we are recording this right before World Conference, which I think it'll be an interesting World Conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these conversations will be talked about in an official capacity. Some of them won't. Um, but the I think the the movement, I guess, has started. Uh, and I, I'm not even just thinking of one particular thing in mind. There's several things that come to mind. Right. And it'll be really interesting to see where we go as a community. Mm-hmm. I think there's some really um, cool things coming up at conference, but I kind of think it's a, uh, I don't want to offend anybody, but it's kind of like a low key year. Mm-hmm. As far as like what's coming to conference. And so I think this is kind of a year where we're just like conversations are starting and we're going to like, you know, we're going to be together. And so this is like a huge moment for like for momentum to what we want. Um, but as far as like what's being talked about this year, no, there's nothing like really controversial coming up. I think at conference, I kind of feel the same way, and I'm always a little bit surprised when people. I don't know, and I totally get that I'm naive at this, but I'm I've been surprised because there have been some people that do think that things are going to be very controversial. I'm like, really? I don't. Okay, I guess we'll see. Um, yeah, I mean, I you know everything is. There are always people against. Um, yeah everything so yeah <laughs> I guess we'll see yeah so I mean yeah definitely there's going to be lively debate and conversation so we've talked about moving forward as a church into the future and some of the challenges that we might face as well as I think some of the hopes but how do you think that we can empower youth today to join us in that future. Um, I think you're involved in some capacity in youth ministry. Um, I have very, very little experience with youth, youth ministry in community of Christ. Uh-huh. And so I'm just curious on what your thoughts are there about how we uh, can mentor and minister to yeah, the next generation of community of Christ. Right. Okay. So all of these questions kind of tie in together. Um, you need like part of part of getting people involved is like making them interested in what you're doing. Um, and so for, for youth to want to come and want to be involved, um, they have to, you know, be some sort of passionate about, about the church or, you know, whatever you're trying to get them involved in. And, and I think I think it's hard to to get kids involved in things these days. You know, they're so busy, like their lives are just very scheduled. Um, and it's like, how does church fit into that? But I think I think in some places we're doing a really great job. I kind of already mentioned um, community place and space. <laughs> they're called different things in like the different areas. Um, right. Do you know about them? 
Yeah, we actually have some Project Zion podcast episodes on those online virtual communities. I know for sure we have an episode with the folks up in Canada and Oklahoma, but we might have a few more. I can't remember off the top of my head. Right. Right. And I like know the people involved in both of those. Um, I haven't gotten the chance to do them myself, but I've talked to people and I think it's such a great way to get people involved. Um, like camps is where we feel connected and like to incorporate that from my understanding, that's one of the things they do is incorporate um, like youth leadership into young adult leadership into those camps. Um, and it's because it's what they're passionate about. Like you find, you find the thing that people like to do and, and you tie it into ministry and like, I'm not like a dictionary, but I'm pretty sure that's a calling. <laughs> I'm pretty sure too. Talent meets passion. Boom. Calling. Oh uh, yeah. So something they believe in that empowers them like that, that they feel empowered and, and then we can support them in because, you know, we can't support everything, but if a youth is like, oh, I really like camp, well, then let's go for it. If a youth is like, oh, I really like reading, I'd like to collect books for people, let's do it, you know, meet them where they are. We have kids wow. who really like to play music at our congregation, and so once a month, David um, arranges pieces of music and he plays with them, and you know, you it's a matter of finding what they're passionate about. I love kids. I am very involved in youth ministries. I'm one of our um, high school camp directors here in Central Mission. And they're just, they're just so much fun. I don't know what it is, but they just, you know, they just have so much hope for the future. I feel like they haven't yet been tainted by being adults. <laughs> seriously and I love what you said to just meet them where they are I think that that's that's the key for both youth and for young adults Mm -hmm. yes if only conversation could solve everything we could fix the world (laughs) ain't that the truth (laughs) so what gives you hope as we move forward into the future as a church? I mean, we've talked about the challenges, but what gives you hope? Yeah. So it's, you know, we've touched on it like all throughout our conversation, but it's those conversations that we're seeing um, happening, whether they're sparked from injustice or just the want to change the way something is done. There's hope in that we want to change. And we want to change because like we think we can be better or meet the needs of more people or um, be available in new ways. And that is exciting. It is exciting when we want to be better and we're willing to make sacrifices and work through problems because like some of the things that we want to change are not going to be easy and not just because of resistance reasons, but just like, it's really hard to enact change in any way. And, but like, we're willing to do it. Um, and then when I read 
oh gosh, I'm such a church nerd. When I read like our enduring principles and our mission initiatives, like they're just so amazing, you know? And I know that they can feel like overused and like, oh, I I get it, you know, enduring principles, yes, whatever. Um, But they're so encompassing of like what we're trying to do and who we're trying to be um, and the love and the message that we're trying to share. So I have, I have hope. I am, I am here. I am committed. I am looking forward to our future. I, you know, sometimes I worry about not being a young adult because as a young adult, we're like, like a commodity, if that makes sense. Like people care about how we feel and our thoughts. And I worry about what happens when I'm not a young adult anymore. Um, Am I no longer important? I don't know. That's just like a small, like internal worry. (laughs) I think it's a valid one though. I really do. What is my identity if I'm not? Because our growing up, you know, oh my gosh, you're a kid. That's important. You're a youth. That's important. You're a young adult. That's important. But then like, you're not a young adult at some point. And, but the thing is, I don't know, I guess I don't view older people as not important. I actually think they're really important to building a strong um, community and congregation. Well, maybe that's my answer. (laughs) I get what you mean though, but like, you know, when everyone, when your peers are suddenly the ones, I don't know, quote unquote, in charge, or they're the ones that are leading mission centers or whatever it may be. Um, yeah. Like where, where does that mm-hmm. leave you? You know, like, I don't know. And I, I struggle with imposter syndrome a lot. And so I can only imagine how it will be in a couple decades when suddenly it's like, man, now I'm the one that's, you know, quote unquote, mentoring the mm-hmm. young adults or I don't know. It, it seems, it seems interesting. I, I look at the kids in my mm-hmm. congregation and think, man, someday these guys are going to be teens and someday they're going to be young mm-hmm. adults. And yeah the future of the church in Utah in a lot of sense, you know, rests on the shoulders of me and my peers. And how do we mentor the kids who really here, they're, you know, second generation community of Christ. So how do we instill our identity in a positive framework? Um, right. You know, but yeah, I, I think about that a lot as well. And um, it, it gets tricky. Uh, I think that sometimes it can almost feel like we're playing pretend as adults. <laughs> like right. we have the responsibility, we have the jobs or we have the credibility based on our age. You know, we're not just punk 21 year old kids, not that 21 year olds are punks, but that's kind of the reputation that really young adults, you know, fresh out of high school, fresh out of college get. And so this slowly becoming a more, I don't even know what to call it. Just like an adult, I guess. I don't know. That's a weird, it's a weird transition. So totally get what you're saying. How old are you? 30. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're going to hit it at like the same time. Yeah. And it's weird. It, it feels really weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I really thank you for this conversation. I think it's been fun. Uh, I'm yeah. curious to know if there's anything that you have to leave us with, any profound thoughts that maybe I didn't ask you about or anything that you would like to leave us with. 
I, you know, I kind of like went through the outline and, and wrote down answers for everything, but not this one. Um, because I don't, I don't really have anything super profound. Um, I just hope people are happy in whatever, you know, whatever they're doing. Like if they're listening to this, well, I I don't know what their motivation is for listening to it. Um, But I hope that they're happy in what they're doing. And whether that's, you know, in the church or in their personal lives, that they're finding fulfillment and doing what they want to do. and to the best of their ability. Amen. I think that's pretty profound. It didn't feel profound. It just, um, happiness is something I struggle with. Yeah. Um, And so it's like the thing I wish on people the most because like, it's really easy to take happiness for granted. Well, Laura, I just want to thank you for joining us today and for uh, being patient with my barking dog. Hopefully we'll edit all of that out. But uh, yeah, it was a really good conversation and I'm looking forward to seeing you at conference. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use, and while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines.